B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Well, hello everyone. Um, very, very warm welcome to B2B Marketing Expo, but an even warmer welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth, um, which is ordinarily a podcast, and this is an absolute delight to take it from the studio to a live audience, and not just in front of you guys, but we're also going live and direct on YouTube, but that's the final plug I promise you that I'll do. Um, so, I'm Benedict. And today I am joined by three fantastic panelists. So to my right, I have Anya Brin, who is partner and chief marketing officer at Marsh McLennan UK. We have Craig Welch, who is senior vice president and head of research marketing at Elsevier. And last, but absolutely by certain no means least, we have Gonzalo Garcia Villanueva, and I've, hopefully I've pronounced that with really the good, necessary actually. sort of uh, Alan, um, a global CMO of Nielsen IQ. So today, I'm very, very pleased to say that we're not going to be talking about ABM. We're not going to be talking about MarTech. As important as those subjects are, I'm delighted to say that we are going to be talking about brand which is something which I personally don't feel gets enough airtime in B2B, but is absolutely essential for us to understand, and especially that transformative power that brand can have for B2B brands particularly. Now, what we're going to look to do within this session is to get a bit of an understanding of what makes a strong brand within B2B, where us as B2B marketers potentially need to focus our, our attention and specifically what we can do to create a brand which is strong, which is powerful, which is effective within a B2B environment. Now, in anticipation of this session, we at Allen Agency did a little bit of research. So we spoke to 300 business leaders um, in a variety of organizations spanning financial services, professional services, technology, and data and analytics companies. And very specifically, we were surveying business leaders, not just marketers, because we wanted to understand from an audience perspective, what is it which actually resonates with them when it comes to being a B2B brand. Now, at a very, very sort of like overarching level, the finding was pretty conclusive that the correlation between being a thought leader as a brand and being a strong brand was extremely high. And that will necessarily be part of the conversation that we have today. But I want to kick things off with a recurring theme which came out within the research and what I suppose it means to be a thought leader. And this is this idea of having a vision. Business leaders seem to be unequivocal with this notion that the brands that they respect most, the brands that they feel most positive um, about, are those that have a vision for the future of the industry. So to kick things off, I want to frame the conversation a little bit. Um, now, this was a quant survey, so there's only a limited amount that we can be able to sort of infer what they mean by vision for future. But I'm interested from your guys' perspective, when business leaders are saying they want to see B2B brands have a vision for the future, what do you think they mean by that? Anya, I'm going to start with you. Great, thank you. Um, hello, I'm delighted to be here. Um, I think 
the most important thing is you, your clarity of purpose. If you're in a commercial organization, um, knowing what you're actually trying to achieve, particularly from a marketing perspective, and having a vision for the future is grounded in credibility because if you're trying to sell your products or your solutions or your services to clients and prospects, they need to know that you can either help them fix their problems, so I call that the plumbing, or more importantly, see around the corner. What is the future of their industry? What is the future of the sector they're in? What is the future of the issue that they're trying to deal with? So that you can help them pave the way for their own success. So it's mutually successful. So as long as you're positioning your brand in those contexts, then you're going to get engagement. And ultimately, the whole purpose of marketing and thought leadership is to get an engagement with the client or the prospect, because that then leads to a conversation. And then that, back to another of my pet projects, the sales and marketing handshake, is that dialogue, the engagement. The more engagement you have, even if you're violently, violently disagreeing, it's important because then you start unearthing how you can help those clients and services. And, and you spoke there about this idea of demonstrating, I suppose, both the knowledge of their industry, but also where their industry is going. You used the phrase, looking around the corner. Now, Craig, from your perspective, when we're talking about that need for a vision, is it a vision for what their, the brand should be and the role it should play within that industry? Or does it need to go that one step further and talk about what the vision is for the wider industry? Yeah, I think um, you have to be very careful. I think every brand has a, a vision statement. They talk about, you know, what they want to be in the industry and, and what they're going to do. Um, I think it's important to paint that vision of where the industry is going, but more importantly, how you can position your customers in that vision. How you can paint them in that vision where they get excited about it, they want to embrace it, and they want to engage with you to be a part of that. I think that is the most critical part. It, too many times brands are talking about themselves mm -hmm. in the vision, they talk about themselves shaping the industry, but they don't talk about how they're gonna put the customers in that picture. Okay, interesting. And Gazala, just bringing, bringing you into that, and I'm giving you the opportunity, I suppose, firstly to reflect on what they might mean by a vision, but then also to pick up on some of those ideas that Anya and Craig have talked about in terms of the necessity to look at the wider industry and where it's going. What are your thoughts and reflections? Well, I think, as Anya mentioned before, you know, that kind of clarity of purpose is needed. We, it, in Nielsen, we kind of invented research. We do a lot of research. And, and we saw that in B2C already for many years, consumers didn't tolerate brands that didn't stand for something. It's come now to the B2B world as well. Mm -hmm. So that's clearly a trend. But the other aspect that we were discussing even preparing for this panel is um, procurement processes have changed a lot over the last 20 years. Um, there was an aspect of being aligned strategic partners to clients and, and kind of like that long-term planning, but the procurement process itself was very technical. It was more about features, you know, capacity and ability to deliver, scalability and coverage, right? And right now, there is much more as part of the process of selecting the right partner on alignment on the brand, alignment on the vision, expecting that you can scale with a company, uh, expecting that you can forecast and react to future disruption. And that comes with the brand, right? That comes with that vision. So more and more, they look at the company not from a technical perspective, can they deliver a project? But they look for partners that have that ability to forecast 
um, you know, analyze current trends and say, so what for your clients? What will you do differently in one year and three years? So mm. it's become a critical part, which is a great opportunity for marketing leaders. Wonderful. And I, I think I'm, I'm very interested to get into what brands need to do to develop that position on what the, the future is. But perhaps before we even get to that conversation, I'm interested to understand, is it appropriate for all brands to give a vision for the future? Or is that legitimacy to give that something that needs to be earned? What, what's your perspective? And maybe, Craig, I'm just going to pick you up again, that just based on what you, you were saying, saying earlier. It, is that something which all brands can lean straight into? Or is it a position they need to negotiate? Um, I think they've got to earn it. And they've got to be very careful about it. And so I'll talk to you about Elsevier. Yep. Um, Gonzalez said that his company invented research. Well, we invented for research. Wow. 40 years there we research. Go. <laughs> I can say this because this guy is one of my closest friends. Um, <laughs> We, are, we work with academics, governments, corporations, and they get very sensitive when we start saying this is where the research industry is going. Very sensitive yep. to that. But what we're trying to position ourselves as, we are an authority to start to generate those conversations of where the industry is going to go. Um, we had a conversation yesterday about some stuff that we're doing on AI and how to talk about it, and the term Sherpa came up. Mm -hmm. And a Sherpa is someone who's an authority, but they're quiet. They guide you. You don't want to go on the journey without them. And I think that's what you want to do with your brand in your industry. Like, if you could be that Sherpa, people look to you to say, that's the North Star. They're pointing me in the right direction. But you've got to be careful, because if you start becoming too authoritative, um, you can lose your connection. Yeah, interesting. Actually, can I just jump in on that? Absolutely. Because I think, so you know this, but I, I hate the term thought leadership because it's quite arrogant. You know, you're only a leader if someone's following you. So I think it's very important that you don't mistake what that insight is. And you can be insightful or you can facilitate the debate. And both are important roles to your point about not being definitive and saying that's the answer it might not be for everyone. So if you're facilitating the debate, and again, back to what I was saying about, ultimately brands survive on engagement with their customers and clients and prospects. If they're constantly having that dialogue, their, feet, their intel is coming to you. So if you're debating about what the future might be rather than saying this is the future, you, you get a huge dialogue and actually then your clients and prospects are telling you more about the challenges they're facing. So you're building your knowledge and you're credentializing yourself in the same time. So I think that's the really important thing is, is you can lead the debate, but you can also facilitate it and both have a purpose. Can I just say one other thing? Absolutely. I, um, you have to ask yourself, how much is your brand listening? Mm -hmm. Actively listening to the market. It takes a lot of discipline not to just talk and shout, but to be a brand that listens. Mm. People respect that and they want to engage with that. So I just, I just yeah. think that's a great point. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting, that, that conversation. I absolutely do see that there is the opportunity to be, and I'm going to use inverted commas, thought leading on a spectrum of facilitator through to disruptor. But I'd be interested in getting your guys' reaction to an, another insight which came out of the, the research that we, we did. Um, and it's particularly pertinent to the conversation we're just having. 
And that was that um, eight in 10 of the business leaders we spoke to said that they respect brands that take a disruptive position. Now, I'm just interested, I suppose, how we reconcile that demand, if you like, from our audiences with what I think we've just made is a very valid point about that you don't necessarily need to be the loudest voice. Gonzalo, just to bring you in on that, that conversation, what would be your interpretation of that stat? I think, um, you know, following the previous comments from the panel, um, definitely you need to be entitled to, to, to be that voice for the market. If not, you shouldn't go straight into trying to be disruptive. You need to gain, earn that position first. But at the moment of disruption, when I read you know, input from our own clients or, or this piece of research, they're looking for more of the so what. Right? I, I see a lot of companies trying to develop you know, thought leadership programs that you know, do a decent job at describing you know, the marketplace and making a bit of an analysis for clients, which some of the clients will find uh, valuable, but doesn't really change their mindset. Um, but I guess when it comes to disruption, the way I see it and, and I sort of drive it with my team is, is more about being a bit more out there in terms of forecasting. So what? What should you do different? Mm -hmm. What if the market turns in six months? How do companies react and are ready? We call it new paths, whether it's for growth or new paths. I think that is the kind of disruption we're talking about. And the second element of that is that we are B2B brands. So I, I totally agree with Craig. Like, it is more of a specific communities. We're not in, in need to shout to 50 million people. Depending on the industry you sit on, there's, there's a number of buyers and influencers, and that's the community you need to build. So I think, for me, the disruption that you know, these buyers are so eager to hear about is these new paths that they cannot figure out by themselves, and that's where you can get, shed some light. And it's not you know, an, a massive community. It's key decision makers that might be CFOs, CIOs, et cetera, et cetera, and that's the community you want to target and be relevant to. Yeah, excellent. Can I pick up on the word disruption? Um, sometimes that can have a negative connotation. So I think it, maybe it's not the disruption part that they want to do, but back to what we were saying about partnering with your clients and mm -hmm. your prospects. If you can question them, so if they come along to you and say, I want to buy that service from you, the easiest thing to say is absolutely cash the check and move on. But actually, if you say to them, we, of course we can help you, but can I just ask you, what was the question you were asking yourself that you then answered with that solution. Oh, and they tell you a little bit more upstream. Ah, then you could start to think, well, actually, if that's what you want to achieve, that solution's not actually going to get you all the way. And you start having that conversation around, actually, back to purpose. What do you want to achieve, and how can we, as your partner, help you get there? And I think that's the positive disruption, because we're not just taking their word for it. And it's, it's like giving your friend good advice. I'm going to wear this outfit or I'm going to go here. You think, really? Is that going to suit you? Oh, hadn't thought about that. So you're being their partner and not just taking their work. If they've got a good business case, you think, absolutely, then that solution's right on track. Mm. And I think that's the disruption is if you're partnering with them, you're curious enough to know, mm, what were you asking yourself? What are you trying to achieve? Let me help you make the right decision. Again, facilitating that conversation rather than being, thank you, let's move on. I just want to follow up on what Anya said because um, executives are like children. Um, okay, that, that's the sound bite. So, <laughs> I mean, they, they'll want ice cream all the time, 
if you give it to them. So of course they want disruption. Yep. Um, everyone's facing critical business challenges. They don't know where it's going out in the future. Um, they want any edge that they can get. But to your point, you have to have a conversation with them about what are you really trying to achieve. Mm. They want that. Mm. And it's difficult to not do that because there's such a huge demand to be so disruptive, so radically different. But don't forget about who you are and trust is an also a really important yep. part of the relationship. And I want to pick up um, a point that Gonzalo made um, a, a second ago, just around sort of like showing the pathway, showing the forecasting and the bravery that's involved in that. But before I do that, I, I'm just interested almost in, I suppose, practical terms. We talked about there about the importance of listening, the importance of being consultative. How do brands go about actually putting that into place? Because I think that the theory makes sense, but what does that look like in practice? Either of you, yeah. I'm very welcome. Or Gonzalo could jump in. <laughs> I'm happy to. Um, Go for it. Obviously, I just mentioned one of the first points is really to be bold enough to not just describe the reality and just analyze it, yeah. but actually being you know, a bit more out there in terms of the so what, whether it's longer term forecast or more you know, disruptive implications yeah. of it. There's companies out there that do it really well. Like I, I read a lot of content for myself, both on like sustainability, diversity and inclusion, and just CMO newsletters from McKinsey, for example. They get some of their you know, projections wrong. They don't get all of them right. So I think you need to be ready um, you know, to, to be a bit more bold and understand that you know, with the right caveats, you're, you're you know, describing potential pathways, as we said before. Mm. The other one is to try and not bite more than you can chew. I think you really need to really define what are the areas and the themes and the you know like trends that you want to own as a brand if you try and you know own everything from sustainability ai you know mm. pricing and inflation etc cetera, etc cetera, you'll fail and you'll be very superficial on them um, and also budgets you know in marketing are limited so you want to be very very clear and strategic about what are the themes that stand out. And that connects back to the brand, right? Yeah. They need to be part of your tenets. You have to have that strong pyramid. Then everything else from thought leadership all the way to solution selling is connected to it. So those, you know, the, the being bold from my perspective, being very selective. And then you do need to engage everybody from the bottom all the way to the C-suite, right? I think you need to have your spokespeople, you know, uh, regionally and globally from, you know, mid-management all the way to the C-suite. And, and everybody needs to really buy into it. Um, you know, people see through like brand washing or even thought leadership washing. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have to have spokespeople that are really believe into like the positioning of your brand. Yep. But just on that, I think we, we talked about it earlier today around the sales and marketing handshake. Marketing needs to be commercial. You know, in the current economic climate, you need to be able to demonstrate your contribution to the success of your organization. Um, and how you measure that is that connectivity internally. So we were talking about the importance of the internal marketing as well as the external marketing. And I think that also leads to your brand purpose. And I think the, the commerciality of marketing is so important. We can drive revenue, whether that's a dollar sign at the end of it or the stickiness of clients, and that generates revenue long term. So I think as long as that's part of your, your makeup, you will always have a seat at the table with your own C-suite because ultimately you're trying to sell marketing internally as well as selling to your clients and, and prospects. And I think that's where the future of marketing is around how do you use all the enablement tools you have. You talk about MarTech. Yep. They're just enablers. And I say just 
not being disrespectful, but it's how you use it and it back to the credibility. If everyone internally is conveying the same messages that you want to convey to your clients and prospects, you get the layer cake and whichever way you cut it, you get the purpose driven out. So your clients know exactly what you stand for, whether they're talking to the CEO or a junior client exec. And I think that, that's where, you know, if you can lean into that conversation, because even when you're not in the room with your own stakeholders, somebody's defending marketing so the dollar doesn't get cut. Yeah. And I, I just absolutely. want to add a couple things. Um, so I get excited about this topic. <laughs> um, the one thing I want to say is be careful about this topic about marketing being commercial. Yeah. Which I'm 100% behind. But what normally happens, sorry for the feedback, is that when someone says that, the entire marketing department says we have to be commercial. And realistically, your entire marketing department cannot be commercial. Some parts of it is driving awareness of what your brand is, mm. but you have to have a very strong understanding of your commercial value and, and contribution. But yep. I've seen too many times someone will say we have to be commercial and the entire group says everything we do in marketing has to be commercial. That's not the way to go. Yep. The other thing, when you're talking about how do the brands and I have this kind of influence. I ask each one of you to ask anyone in your group, what's your brand strategy? I bet most of you wouldn't be able to articulate it. And we're having that trouble too. Yeah. Understanding the role that the brand has in your organization and how do you activate that. Figure that out first and you'd be surprised what happens after. Yeah, indeed. And I'm very interested in picking up on the brand strategy and, and tying together some elements, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, and you can just tell me to, to stop. I'm going to try and create a little bit stop. of attention. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Oh, I'm going to keep going. Um, a little bit of attention between you know, what you were saying. So I think that I think you're both probably right, but also there is a little bit of a misalignment in terms of, I think, from your perspective, that importance of having a commercial focus or a commercial awareness within marketing throughout the marketing organization is key. And Greg, I think you're quite right to say that it cannot be a predetermining sort of factor in terms of how marketing behave. So Anya, your chance to respond to Craig's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, th I think it comes down to your definition of commerciality. To me, if you're in a commercially focused organization, everyone from the ops team to the marketing team to the finance team to the sales team, they're all driving the commercial success in an organization. So yes, you're right in terms of, and that's why I said commerciality of marketing doesn't always have to lead to a dollar. It could also be that stickiness of clients. So yeah. back to brand awareness, brand loyalty, I've made the right decision. You know, I'm sure a lot of you have studied psychology of, of selling and stuff. And it's that Pavlov, make them think, yeah, I'm doing the right thing, I keep doing it, right? Keep feeding that. So I think commerciality is not a bad world. Um, I started my career selling advertising, and as an Irish person, being paid to talk and sell on the phone was a perfect job for me. I couldn't believe my luck. And that sales mentality has worked with me as I've progressed up the, the, the ladder and, and now at the CMO level in terms of showing the value, and maybe commercial is not the right word, but the value that you contribute, keeping existing clients with so the retention, but also then getting growth so where that comes from. And I think as long as everyone knows their purpose in that food chain, so you all probably heard the story of the person at NASA who was asked, what do you do? I send people to the moon. And her official job was a cleaner. But she facilitated getting people to the moon. So again, understand your purpose, that you can articulate the value that you're delivering, 
And again, the business will work with you. Yep. I mean, you're, you're spot on. And um, I always say, um, when you move up to be a CMO or head of marketing and you're now on the exec level and you're going into that room and everyone's speaking French and you're speaking Russian. And to your point, you have to start speaking French. And that's the commercial um, perspective of how the company is making money. Yep. And you, to your point, you have to understand how every role is driving to that. Most marketing organizations that I've seen will say, we have to be commercial, and, and they can't explain what that means. You have to go in and, like I said, speak French and be able to yep. talk about what you do in a way that relates to mm. how the CFO thinks, how the CEO yep. thinks, how the head of sales thinks. That's important. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that there is a quite excellent talk um, later on this afternoon about sales and marketing alignment. Um, 12.15, I'm reliably assured by Tanya. So I'm going to give Gonzalo just the final opportunity yeah. to be the arbiter of this, <laughs> of this particular debate. And then we, then we will move on from that. But yeah, Gonzalo, what, what are your opinions on what we've just been talking about there about the commerciality? Very, very happy to be the tiebreaker. <laughs> um, I think the first comment, you know, as I certainly leave this topic every day, you know, what Craig just said about the language resonates massively. Uh, you, you will be tone deaf if you don't have like that, that you don't speak you know the right language in the room but in my own marketing leadership team where I have regional teams global brand strategy teams and you know solution teams I have strong voices to represent commercial that's the way we strike that balance mm -hmm. because I get what, what Greg is saying is like you need to interpret the direction of the company and then you have your independent view from marketing okay. so I create that healthy tension in my management team with a very strong voice of commercial so I totally agree ultimately my second point on the topic of commercial you know, alignment goes back to advice on the best practice. It's an elephant in the room. I, I think we've always had to be data-driven in the way that we do marketing. Now, probably more nowadays, but when there is a, any disconnection between commercial and marketing, data is king, right? Both on the planning and then on the reporting side of things. So we work with amazing brands that are very sophisticated in the way that they do marketing strategy and execution. Procter & Gamble, Unilever, you know, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Apple, Samsung. And you see on all those brands, and you see the performance over years, the people that are actually using data, whether it's brand data, market share, or bespoke research, are performing better. Automatically, they plan their thought leadership, their brand campaigns, and their promotions mm. in a way that always hits home because they're always listening to the data. So at some point, you find that kind of disconnection between your commercial team and some marketing strategies. Just listen to the data from your clients. And last but not least, you know, which is also an advice on the how to drive a thought leadership program, thought leadership has been dinged for being fluffy, smoke and mirrors for many years, and that's why, why sometimes CMOs had a hard time with the CFOs to secure the budget. That's probably because they were not reporting the impact. Yep. Not only on brand metrics, but even on pipeline metrics, on number of RFPs that have been invited, new C-suites introduced. So I think data is important in planning and strategy setting, but also in reporting at the end on a daily basis. Yep. Now, Gonzalo is obviously very, very fortunate to work for an organization which actually does specialize in brand and marketing data. Uh, now, I, mean, I know that Craig made a big boast about the, 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 the tenure of Elsevier when it comes to research, but obviously they don't have brand data. So I'm interested, and I'm going to direct it to, to you two. Um, 
How do you successfully make the case for investing in becoming a thought-leading brand within your organizations? Um, again, through that sort of commercial lens as well. Um, Anya, I'll start with you. Um, it's about being relevant. Uh, we talked about having credibility of purpose. If you're not relevant to your clients and prospects, you're, you're not going to be the, yeah. the provider of choice. So in the conversations that we have around whether we're investing in, in content development, uh, is about, you know, it's the cube of your industry sectors that you're focused on, the thematics that are the issues that they're worrying about, or they should be worrying about, and then the buyer, economic buyers. So in our business at Marsh McLennan, we look at three main functions. It's the finance function, the HR function, and the risk function. And they're all in combined with, then ultimately with the CCU to how they, with the CEO, how they navigate the organization. So I think as long as we're talking about being relevant to our clients, being credible, then the engagement of the business to lean into marketing as part of the go-to-market, having an insight to share with clients to help them understand what the next step is. Um, you know, we do a, a big global risk report and we talk about what are the big risks that organizations need to address. Um, people is always one of those, you know, um, and how you can navigate that. And, and again, risk is about managing it and harnessing it, not stopping yourself from doing stuff. So I think it's about that credibility and relevance. Greg, anything to add? Yeah, I think um, what's been fortunate for me at Elsevier is the negative feelings that have been out there about the company, which is forcing um, us to go, we've got to change the minds of the people that we deal with, and we have to become more relevant in the spaces we want to grow. It's forcing this to happen, right? I mean, we have researchers and librarians whose whole world has been turned upside down, right? Um, we have academic leaders, funders like the Gates Foundation. They're like, what do we want to, what do we want to invest in? And we do a lot of research to understand what people think of us, mm. and they don't think of us what we want them to think of us, and we're thinking, how, how do we do this? How do we change their opinion? We have to have a dialogue with them. We have to express who we are in a way that we can have a conversation. That's thought leadership. And then, to Gonzalo's point, using the data. This is what customers are saying about us. Yep. This is what we need to change. And it's not easy, because I work in an organization, um, my PA has two PhDs. Like, everyone in my organization is overly educated and qualified because that's who we're dealing with. So they don't get really the subjective part, mm. that people are irrational. They want to connect with a brand. They want to understand. They want to have a dialogue. Um, I'm enjoying it because every time I come up with a suggestion, they go, no. But when we do a test and it works, they're like, okay, how much more money do you need to yep. see if we can make this better? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I like how you guys have both coalesced around this idea of relevance, which clearly does have a very rational quality to it. And I think that that sort of, a, you know, probably answers some of the questions you might get in your organization. But if we think about the, the, the etymology of the word relevance, then it's about relatability, which gets to a much more sort of emotional level. And I think that that is an important dimension. So. If we're talking about you know, the idea that as a brand you've got to create relevance and showing leadership to, on an industry is a way of, of, of doing that, I think what I want to, to almost close out this, this conversation, and hopefully there is a little bit of a contentious nature in this, is 
to get your guys' perspective on, if we're to talk about creating a thought-leading brand, are B2B marketers, are they up to it? Are they up to leading this particular challenge within their organizations and transforming a business to become thought-leading? Gonzalo, I'm gonna start with you. Um, I think even if you step back from thought leadership, just in general terms, um, I've witnessed, I've been doing marketing for more than 20 years, but especially in the last five, 10 years, I moved from CMOs to being actively influential in the marketing scope to being influential in the full you know, scope of the company and all the C's of the C-suite and having and being forced to partner much more with HR, tech, and so on and so forth. So this is about brands. So I'm not going to go deeper into that. But if you think about customer experience, that's not just down to yep. the CMO, the website, the events, and so on. It's the people that does customer service. It's the music and the voice when they're contacting your customer service over the phone, which is not necessarily marketing in many B2B mm. organizations, is the way that Salesforce presents themselves. So, you know, CMOs in general, not just the leadership, have to really think about their scope beyond marketing. They yeah. need to start to influence and be very bold about influencing the rest of the, bo of the board. See, you know, in terms of thought leadership, it's not different. Um, in some organizations, you might be lucky that you're empowered to run thought leadership. That makes it a little bit easier because then alignment is there, budgets might be sitting in that cost center and so on and so forth. If it's not the case, it shouldn't stop CMOs and marketing leaders to drive in that. Like, there's a lot of organizations in professional services, consultancy, you know, big fours, and so on and so forth, where some of these subject matter experts and thought leaders sit on commercial units or consulting units and so on. And you need to be bold on committing, hey, percentage of time of SLAs committed from those people into the marketing thought leadership programs versus you know, commercial and account-facing you know, time. Ensuring that you, as a CMO, can chair a thought leadership committee, like a steer co, you know, where you drive that topic and the execution, and that has product in it. It has consulting on it. Yeah. It has the writers from areas that are outside of marketing and so on. I think marketers are ready, and they should have a very important voice. It's not about building empires, but you do need to be bold enough to say, I will coordinate if you guys are okay with yeah. it. And Anya, in terms of creating that vision for the future of the industry, do you agree that marketing is appropriate to take the lead or do you think it needs to be a full core effort? Um, bit of both. I'm very positive that marketing as a profession can lead the debate in their organizations. And I think as long as you're curious about what part you're playing in the overall purpose, you then know how your part plays. Too often we have you know, marketeers who just do one thing and, and it, they, they get blinkered. And I think if you empower your team or you're looking at your team and thinking, have I given explicit permission if it's needed to just run at it? So as you were saying, um, question, be curious. Why are we doing it this way? Because innovation comes from necessity in some cases. So if you keep hitting a brick wall that's not working, using data to evidence your perspective to say, I know it's done that way, but actually I'm going to change it. I think that marketing can work with the business. But again, it's a, a full court press, use a basketball analogy. You're not in isolation, and therefore you don't have to shoulder all that responsibility. It's not your job to deliver everything, but it is your job to help everybody deliver it. And as long as everyone knows the part they're playing, that the wheels turn faster and you can actually react. So test, learn, and move on. Keep testing, keep learning, 
be curious. Always ask, I always say to my team, why is a positive question? Because if you ask why and you get butterflies, you think, oh, I don't really want to answer that question. You know something, it's a red flag. If you get butterflies, go, let me tell you why. It has legs. So be curious. And I think, yeah, we can do it. Wonderful. And Craig, I'm going to give you the closing thought here. So what is your view in terms of marketers as the architects of that vision for the future? Yeah, I was thinking about the the question you were asking, are they ready? Um, I think over the last 15 years, B2B marketing has really focused on very specific roles, as you've talked about, mainly on the digital side. They've honed in on that a lot. I think that's been a big mistake. I'm very much into looking at data. I think that's critical. But I would challenge you to look into your marketing organization and say, how many people are good storytellers? How many are really good storytellers in my marketing group? That is what's needed. A very clear story. We're talking about thought leadership, right? You're talking about engagement. It's storytelling. And that's what marketing does better than anybody else. And when you think about B2B, it's the most challenging. I used to work B2C, Amex, MasterCard. Marketing was the king, the queen. You do anything you want. Everyone listen to you. B2B, you've got product people who know so much more than you. Salespeople are out there and they just want, want, want. And you can get sucked into just being subservient to those two groups. You have to take the position of we are the storytellers of this brand. Mm. Figure out what that story is and tell it over and over again. So yes, I'm excited. I think we can do it. But I think we've got to focus on the storytelling. Uh, And I think that is a a beautiful way to end this particular part of the discussion. I mean, obvious bias aside, I do feel that storytelling is such an important skill in terms of the role that marketing needs to play to an external audience. But if we're talking about actually elevating marketing's role, marketing being successful in persuading the business of the power of marketing, you've got to be a storyteller as well. Data can take you part of the way, but unless you are able to stitch that together into a narrative which is compelling to an internal audience, you're always going to be fighting an uphill battle. Now, we've run a little bit over my original intended time, but we do have some time for questions. So please put your hand up and then Tanya will, there we go, straight up. That is an instant, instant winner. Hi there. Um, so my name is Kasia. I work for, sorry, I'll just stand up. Um, I work for Wincanton. So we are a supply chain company. Yep. Uh, so my question is, um, at the moment we work um, within sort of the automation and robotics area and we're trying to get our customers to jump on board with us, right? And I think my question is that um, if you are the, the, the partner who wants to kind of go further and, you know, explore the new territory, but how do you convince your customers to jump on board with you? Because what we are facing at the moment is a lot of customers are happy with the way they operate on a daily basis and they're a bit potentially scared of changing stuff because obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in the market at the moment so what would you say is a strategy to convince your customers to come with you apart from I suppose the research and you know the 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 logic behind oh the numbers would be you know x y and z potentially I I mean I'm going to hazard a guess that Craig has a a view given what he's talking about storytelling but which of you guys wants to jump in there in terms of taking customers on that journey and being emotionally persuasive as well as intellectually persuasive 
I'll oh, on your, quickly. On your go for um, it. Partner with them. Yeah. Get them inside the tent and say, obviously you have to be selective of which kinds you want to you go after. Show them the art of the possible. Work with them. Say you co-create something. If it works, fantastic, they pay you. <laughs> if it doesn't, you learn. And I think that's pick a couple and get them inside working with you so that they can be vulnerable in a safe environment. Cool. And I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to give one of you two the opportunity to build on what Anya said. I'll let you fight it out between the two of you. Who, who, who would like you to? Want it? <laughs> sure. You, um, you can have it. <laughs> when I was talking before about both the point about being very targeted is because in your industry there will be a number of clients that you're interested, certain size in automotive and so on and so forth. That's something you definitely need to understand. The other piece about the data, it doesn't mean to do major quantitative you know, stuff. You know, your marketing resource can talk to clients about what they care. Ultimately, you need to find that triangle of what you offer, you know, what your clients want, and then that differentiator. And that's where you can get really fun and funky. Like your brand and your thought leadership can get very unique and very fun. Like, you know, B2B marketing tends to be ding for being boring. We cannot be as tongue-in-cheek as some of the B2C brands, but that doesn't mean we, we're not human. So if you find in that triangle, like the human aspect that connects what they care about and what your solution stands for, you can get their attention. And it's just a, a matter of like just being consistent after that. So there you go, partner and triangulate. That's the, the takeout there. <laughs> Do we have time for a, another question? Great. Hi, hi there, my name is Ross Todder. I'm from Viavi Solutions. We're a, a telecoms test and measurement equipment manufacturer. And I want to pick up on the comment about um, listening to your customer, which I completely agree with. But I, I wonder what is the what are some of the methods of gathering that data? So our customers sell a solution to the to the end customer, but because we provide them a technology, they're not going to you know go on Google and write a review or moan on online or something like that. So other than just speaking to them directly, do you have any other methods that you'd recommend for gathering that data? Thanks very much, Russ. So how do we? In practical terms, make sure we are listening. Yeah. Greg, I know that Elsevier are exceptional when it comes to customer listening, so I'll give you first right of refusal, although I can see that Gonzalo <laughs> is also keen to jump in on this. He's, he's probably going to have a lot more to add than me. Look, I think um, like we do a lot of stuff. We do NPS. I'm not a big fan of it, but we use it, and it's very important. We do lots of customer focus groups. Um, we go out and just bring our customers together around the world to talk to them about what's not working and working. We try so many different ways of, of engaging with them. The question is, what are you doing with it? That, that's, that's the real challenge of what are you doing with it. I, I think Gonzalo, um, I know, does a lot of, of that's what his company does. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I guess my, my, my answer to you is, that's the easy part, the gathering information. I, I'm, you're asking, what do you do? I think the harder part is, how do you take it and in, incorporate it into what, how you operate? Like, think about that. How are you doing that? That's the hard part. I don't know if you want to add. Um, I was going to jerk that the easy solution is to hire Elsevier or Nielsen <laughs> or GFK, which is the other brand. But you're quite right. Like, sometimes when you have a limited budget, you're not going to go big and, and spend half of it on... I was sitting on another you know, panel keynote discussion on the same topic. You would be surprised how much input you can get from your own followers on social media after each webinar you do. If you craft the questions in a way that you get the insights you want, but in a fun way, like less form, more conversational marketing, you would be surprised in organic surveys how much you can do without. When you need a big project, you do need an Elsevier or a, a Nielsen IQ for consumer. You do need to get serious. 
But there is so much stuff you can do on the back of events, especially if the content of the event is being very engaging. Your potential clients are really open to answering five questions. On social media and LinkedIn, you know, if you look at stats from LinkedIn in terms of engagement after reading a good post, they will answer a couple of things, especially if you give them back some of the findings. So there is a lot of stuff I would be happy to discuss later, but you can get really scrappy with that. And then Craig is absolutely right. Think carefully about what you ask because this is what you're going to do with it afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to take the liberty of agreeing with, with both of them. I think that... That's the first every, time. Well, don't get used to it, Craig. Don't get used <laughs> to it. But, um, you know, it, it, the, what Gonzalez said there is, is really key about the, the unstructured nature of collecting information. Um, Quant will tell you what you already know or validate what you already know. Uh, and qualitative is that opportunity to explore and find out new truths. But when you do qualitative, don't make it a quantitative survey that you just happen to be saying verbally. You've got to take an unstructured approach to that question. You've got to allow those tangents to emerge because that's where you find out those new truths. And Craig is absolutely right in terms of it's what you do with it. Um, I'm going to try and squeeze in one question. I'm going to take another liberty because I think we're probably over time, but we're going to do it anyway. Is that working? Good, good. Yeah. I've um, found myself working with quite a few uh, global executives on brand activation and thought leadership, turning their stories and anecdotes into relevant material. Um, actually, what I found is in some of the other functions, you get the even better storytellers than in marketing. Engineers, uh, operations people have some fantastic anecdotes and stories that signal and activate the brand values. And sometimes the marketeers get a little bit stuck behind messaging statements with the brand in it. And they kind of go, because our brand, we do so and so and so. And of course, in our brand, we do this. And my view is it actually comes across a bit wrong. I don't know what you think, whether we actually sometimes need to help marketeers become proper brand activating storytellers rather than brand messages. Perfect. Excellent. Well, I'm getting menacing looks from, yeah, I'm being told literally to finish right this second. But so um, I'm going to give you all the opportunity to answer this, but I'm going to really quick fire. So you've got opportunity to, to agree or disagree. Um, and how do you involve people in the organization? On your right, 30 seconds, the floor is I, yours. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, marketers don't have the overriding knowledge around storytelling. We're good, but if you bring it to life, because the client stories, back to what you were, this gentleman over here was saying, is how do you listen to your clients? And the people who are frontline, engineers, salespeople, anyone who's touching with the client base or your prospects, they have the stories that will bring your brand to life. So it's not an and or, it's, sorry, it's an and rather than an or, so do both. Perfect, Craig, go. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I have a meeting today, which I'm trying to cancel. It's, it's about, we need more messaging, we need more, and I'm like, no, what's the overall story? And let the best people who can tell that story, tell it. So I think I'm connecting with what you're saying. You're absolutely right. Wonderful, and Gonzalo? Um, so yes, I would agree totally with that point. Um, you do have to make sure that you're filtering out some of the really engaging story that has nothing to do with your business, right? But other than that, we'll go back to the two points I made before. Like, when I spoke about the Steerco, the steering committee that is not just marketing, you need to include tech, HR, employees from Damn. all the areas, sales, customer facing, that feeds the story of the company. And when I spoke about spokespeople, it's not just C-suite, as I mentioned before, it's mid-management, because some of them are the best and they connect with the right level of people in the audience, but I totally agree. 
Wonderful. And I'm at the risk of being forcibly removed. I'm just going to quickly sort of sum up. I think the, the big thing which has come across to me is going back to this idea of relevance. And that's the job of marketing, but certainly in terms of being a thought leader, having a vision for the future, it's demonstrating that you have that relevance. Relevance comes from making sure that you are speaking to your market and you understand what's going on. And then you synthesize that, interpret it, put your spin on it, but play it back to the market to show that you have that relevance and understanding of where it's going. And that is what ultimately is powerful. But um, thank you very, very much for all three of you. I think it was a really, really fantastic conversation. And thank you very much for you guys. Thanks. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.